Please pray with me. Father, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the gospel of Jesus, what Paul called the power of God. So we ask that um, the power of God might be made known to us through the preaching of the gospel. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. My name's Rob Sturdy. I'm the Anglican chaplain to the Corps of Cadets down at the Citadel. Got a few cracks on the way in that you don't really look like you belong at the Citadel. Um, these days, that's a compliment. I did it once, and once was enough. The Commandant uh, changed the haircut standards this year. You might have seen that. The Post and Courier picked it up. What he said was you get one, one shave down during Hell Week, and then you can grow it out to normal standards. And that's what I did. I got a haircut in August. I hadn't gotten one since. <laughs> French poet Paul Verlaine said that rumors, they have a hundred mouths. William Shakespeare called rumor a pipe. It's blown by surmises and jealousies, conjectures. It's played by the wavering multitude. Ancient Roman poet Virgil, he said that no other evil we know is faster than a rumor. It thrives on speed. It becomes faster by running. As much as you may not like to admit it, and I certainly don't like to admit it, we probably all, to various degrees of pleasure, enjoy spreading rumors. A study published by data scientists at MIT found that falsehoods almost always beat out the truth in social media. Now, surprisingly, it's not because of the bots, but it's because of the people. You and I love to share juicy bits of news that may or may not be true. The truth of it doesn't matter near as much as is it juicy. Andy Warhol, he said, you know, I'm a social animal. If I stayed home, I'd have to share rumors with my dogs. Now, given our shared love of juicy bits of information, our shared love of rumors, not only in hearing them, but also in spreading them, the resurrection story from the Gospel of Luke comes across as a bit of a letdown. It starts with a bang. Breathless women sprint home from the tomb to tell their friends a man was dead. He's now alive. But it ends with a whimper. The apostles thought it was all nonsense. They would not believe it. On the first... Easter Sunday, there's no Easter hymns, there's no confident proclamations of victory over death and hell. On Easter morning, a handful of women attempt to warm up the rumor mill. By noon, it's ground to a halt. Now, that might not be the Sunday school lesson you remember, but that's what happened. 2,000 years later, here we are. What in the world are we doing talking about something that died by 1 p.m.? the rumor of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Mark Twain, he said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting its shoes on. Rumors of the resurrection from the dead were not marathon running lies. By the time that the women got back to where the disciples were staying, the priests had already given the soldiers money to say that the body had been stolen. Only two women believe at first. Hours later, it's just Peter and John by nightfall. There's only two more that join the ranks. It's not until a full week later that Jesus' own disciples believe He's raised from the dead. Seven days! The truth was still putting its shoes on. 
Easter wasn't merely a rumor, though. They changed their minds. What changed their minds? Well, Wolf Blitzer, the lead political anchor for CNN, gave an interview about what's it mean to be a newsman, and this is what he said. I'm an old-school journalist. My inclination is not to go with a story unless I have it hard. It's not good enough to go on rumors. And what you have in the confusion, disbelief, and slow acceptance in the days following the first rumors of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead are men and women wanting to get the story hard. Not wanting to go off of rumors. Now you and I weren't there. Can't walk into the tomb. But that doesn't mean we have to go off rumors. Doesn't mean we can't get the story hard. Doesn't mean we can't learn to say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead more than a gut feeling. I've come to some conclusions about it. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12. They're nice enough to print it out for you around here. And I want to ask some questions about Luke 24, 1 to 12. These are the questions. They're really important questions. Did Jesus' followers expect Him to be raised from the dead? That's question number one. Were the first witnesses of the resurrection reliable witnesses? Question number three. Is their reaction to the news... Reasonable. Is it what you would expect? Well, let's start here. Did Jesus' followers expect Him to be raised from the dead if they were listening to Him and they believed Him? The answer is yes. We know from the accounts of Jesus' life given by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus spoke frequently about His crucifixion as well as about His resurrection. For example, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said He must go down to Jerusalem, suffer, Many things. He will be killed on the third day. He'll rise again. That's Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Mark 16 tells of a time when Jesus shared with His disciples He would suffer many things. He would be rejected. He would be killed. After three days, He'd rise again. That's in Mark chapter 8. If you want to look it up later, verse 31. So if they believed Jesus, they should have also believed He'd rise from the dead. But what are the disciples doing on the Sunday after the crucifixion? Very early in the morning, verse 1 of our reading, on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb bringing fragrant spices they had prepared. They were going to put spices on a corpse. That's what they were doing on Easter Sunday. Now, I want you to think about what that means for a moment. The first Christians didn't go to the grave because they thought Jesus would be alive. They went to the grave because they knew He was dead. On Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, no one expected the resurrection. The women go to visit the tomb to lay flowers on the grave of a dead man. And when news slowly trickles out that the man who was dead is now alive, this news was never, not once, not one single instance was it met with belief and joy. Every time the rumor of the resurrection of Jesus is shared, it's met with confusion, fear, and disbelief. Every time. Why is that so? When uh, modern people talk about the Christian faith, one of the things they say is that ancient people 
were more gullible than we are. They were more superstitious than you and I were. And that's absolutely right. Ancient people believed in the supernatural far more easily than anyone in this room does. The mistake modern people make is when they take this gullibility towards supernatural things and they apply it to the resurrection of the dead. Because one thing ancient people simply did not believe was that dead people come back to life. You don't need to have seen the lunar landing to know dead people don't come back to life. Many scholars have pointed out bodily resurrection would have been almost inconceivable to the dominant worldview of the day. If you're a Greek, the Greco-Roman world believed the material world was bad. They, they thought this was bad. The body was bad. And so salvation for a Greek person is not that your body comes back to life. Salvation for a Greek person is you get to leave this body behind. You don't have to deal with the bum knee, the bad hip, the rolls that show up that weren't there, but they're there now. I'm going to get away from it all one day. The resurrection of a body wouldn't have only been hard to believe for a Greek person. It would have been undesirable. They didn't want it. If you're a Jew, and all the early Christians were Jews, some of them believed in the resurrection, but not all of them. And for those that did believe in the resurrection, they believed that everybody would be raised at one time. The resurrection of one man ahead of everybody else would have been inconceivable to a Jewish person, including Jesus' followers. There's another problem with the Easter faith that modern people often overlook. Life expectancy in first century Judea was 35 years old. You are less gullible than they were. You are less superstitious than they were. You are probably less religious than they were. You do not know more about death than they did. They saw it. They knew what it was. They had zero reason to expect the rumors they were hearing were true. They found the stone rolled away in verse 2 from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Mark, he says the reaction of the women was terrified. Matthew says they were afraid. Luke says they were confused. John says the body was stolen. Do you see the significance of the reactions? On Easter morning, the disciples are prepared to believe any rumor except what actually happened. Did they believe in the resurrection? And the answer is a resounding no. No one did. The first skeptics of the Christian faith were the disciples of Jesus Christ. What's the significance? They changed their mind. What changed their mind? I'll leave you to think about that. Here's the second question. Were the first witnesses reliable? We've established the disciples, they weren't expecting to visit uh, a tomb that was empty. They were expecting to visit the tomb of a dead man. But what they were expecting isn't what happened. They wander into the tomb, and as they're trying to figure out what it all means, two messengers, two angels appear to them. And this is what it says in verse 4. While they're perplexed, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, 
Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the Gospels tell us He first appeared to women, not to men. First appeared to women. That's a pretty big surprise. And it means something. Why is it a surprise? Well, I'll tell you. In the Jewish court system, women aren't eligible to be witnesses. In the patriarchal system of the day, women were characterized as irrational and unreliable. For the Jewish historian Josephus, he said that women were flippant and they were impetuous. The Greek philosopher Strabo said, quote, in dealing with a crowd of women, you can't influence them by reason or exhort them to reverence, piety, and faith. The Greek philosopher and early critic of Christianity, Celsus, dismissed the resurrection on one point. You know what that one point was? It was reported by women. After death, he rose again, showed the marks of his punishment, how his hands had been pierced. But who saw it? A bunch of hysterical women. That's a quote. So why that, is that a surprise? Well, it's surprising that such an important thing as witnessing the resurrection would be left in the hands of a class of people who were and continue to be wrongly looked down upon, not believed, not trusted. But this also helps us understand what it means, what its significance is. If women were a disrespected class in the first century, and they were, if you were making these stories up, you would never make them up in such a way that the credibility of the entire thing depended on women. The New Testament scholar and theologian Richard Balcom, he put it this way, as you know, the women in the Gospel narratives are the first people to find the tomb of Jesus empty, Moreover, they're the only witnesses to the empty tomb who saw Jesus buried and therefore could vouch for the fact that the empty tomb really was the tomb in which Jesus' body had been laid. According to two of the Gospels, the women were also the first to meet the risen Lord. The argument you will have heard is that since women's testimony in the ancient world, including especially Jewish Palestine, was widely regarded as unreliable and untrustworthy, this role of the women in the Easter events is unlikely to have been invented. C.S. Lewis, he said, you know, the difference between myths and legends and the gospel stories is myths and legends are neat and tidy. They're neat and tidy precisely because they were made up. That women are the first witnesses of the resurrection is not a neat and tidy thing in the first century. It's embarrassing. It's not the only embarrassing part of the stories. Peter, the rock upon whom I will build the church, didn't believe the news. They didn't disguise that. When Thomas heard the news of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he said, I will never believe that. And this is the guy we're supposed to trust for the beginnings of the Christian faith? It's full of untidy, embarrassing little details. Well, you would remove those details if you were trying to make up a credible story. But you'd keep those details there if you were telling the truth. Were the early witnesses reliable? Absolutely not, according to the standards of the first century. I'll say one thing about this briefly as an aside. If you're a woman here right now and you're saying, what's this mean for me? 
2,000 years ago, we were dismissed, called flippant, impetuous, unreasonable. Does Christianity change that at all? Let me tell you two things. The only people brave enough to go to the cross on Good Friday were women. The only people God trusted to talk about the resurrection on Sunday were women. The world may not always have the best things to say about you. The world might not always believe you. But God believes you and God trusts you. That's why you were the first to hear the news. The men would do well to listen to that as well. <laughs> Here's the last thing. Is the reaction reasonable? There's no possible way Luke could have ended his account more realistically. He said that the first witnesses of the resurrection, all women, they ran home to tell the other followers of Jesus what they had seen and what they had heard. And Luke tells us the disciples thought the resurrection was a silly story and they didn't believe them. It's a silly story. And if we're honest, a lot of people, they stop at a silly story. It sounds sophisticated to say, I don't believe in a literal resurrection. I believe in a metaphorical resurrection, that he's raised in the hearts of his believers and his teaching goes on. But I, I don't know, it's a bit of a stretch for me to say the body came up from the ground. Sounds sophisticated. I think it's pretty lazy. It's certainly not what Peter did. What Peter did was very different. It says that Peter rose, he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling. Now the Greek word there, it, it means a bit of confusement, a bit of uh, amazement, and a bit of wonder. Yeah. Peter investigated for himself. And that's actually what, what we all must do. We must investigate for ourselves. A friend of mine and former professor at Oxford University, he said, when, when I heard about the resurrection of Jesus when I was in college, I wrote in my journal, if Jesus is raised from the dead, I must dedicate my life to understanding this mystery. But if it's a lie, I swear my life shall be dedicated to opposing it. And I always admired his openness to either. Because it said he's not, he's not going to be content with rumors, but he wants the story hard. He's going to investigate it for himself. And I would encourage you to investigate for yourselves. You have to have the integrity to go all the way with this thing. And find out for your own. But if you choose to go, I'd give you a warning. You might have heard that, that Jesus is the answer. And I've come to the conclusion that's just absolutely not true. Because when, G when Peter leaves the empty tomb, he doesn't leave with answers, does he? He leaves with a lot of questions. It says that Peter marveled. What did he marvel at? We marveled at where the body of his friend was. Marveled at what had happened, but there's deeper marvelings to be marveled at. Woody Allen, he said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> Death is frightening. It's frightening because it's inevitable. It's going to come to everyone in the room. It's frightening because it's finality. It's the period at the end of the sentence of your human life. The Greeks and the Romans used to imagine their heroes going down to the land of the dead 
Those stories are called catabasis stories. means going down in Greek. And in all the catabasis stories, there's only two accounts of heroes able to return. In both accounts, the heroes were seeking their loved ones. In neither account could they bring them back. You know what that teaches us? Even in our mythology, we can't imagine a way out of death. Even in our mythology. But Easter Sunday expands the imagination. Maybe death isn't invincible. Maybe it's not as strong as we thought it was. Easter Sunday presents a story of a man who went down into death and he came back, but he did more than just go down. He's, he's not an explorer like Vasco da Gama or Ernest Shackleton. He didn't just go down and map it out and come back with a report. But it says he went down there and he ruined it. There's a wonderful little section in Dante's Inferno where he's traveling through hell and there comes to a point where he has to cross over a bridge, but the bridge is out. And when he looks at the bridge that's out, he starts looking around at everything else, and he sees that, that, uh, that hell's in ruins. The buildings are rubble, and, and he asks his guide, what happened here? And the demon guide says very grimly, many years ago, the Son of God came down and ruined us. We've not recovered. Death and hell are broken. In light of the resurrection of Jesus, they just don't work anymore. And people who follow Jesus from the empty tomb into the new world where death is broken and hell is overstrown, they step out into waters that are uncharted. Death is familiar. Eternal life is not. It's a mystery. It's an adventure. On Easter Sunday, Jesus calls anyone who believes to step into the unfamiliar, unexpected world of eternal and undefeatable life. If you're looking for certainty and calm, stay home. Don't go to the tomb. Don't see if it happened. Dismiss it as a silly story and an idle tale, but if you're looking for something more, go. See for yourself, and you might be caught up in something worth wondering at. You might even find the landscape of your own life irreparably changed. You might learn it's not a rumor because you might have gotten a hard story and you'll never be the same again. Let's pray. Father, I pray that a deep conviction might settle on your people that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Not as a sentiment, not as a gut feeling, but as something that really changed the fabric of the universe. Pray that those of us who believe would enter into the adventure of it. And we pray that those who are coming to belief would be helped along by friends of you and your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.